Hey everyone, Eric here. I just wanted to say for this episode, Ryan and I accidentally recorded some background noise. Uh, we're still pretty new to this, so we're still working out the kinks. But bear with us this episode, and uh, we'll do better next one. Without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. Uh, I am another one of your co-hosts, Ryan Bauer. How you doing, Ryan? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, been a crazy week, but I am excited um, to talk about another incredible game uh, that we have. How about you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing good. Yeah, it's it's been a little crazy lately. But uh, but no, it's well, this, is, this podcast has been awesome with kind of... Uh, helping to manage the stress it's kind of a yeah. stressor to just kind of relax and watch uh and play games and and you know so yeah no, I mean, and this game is and it's it's funny that we talk about de-stressing because this game yeah. is probably the uh one of the worst ones to de-stress with because it's kind of a lot but um that game that we're talking about is the last of us yeah the last of us and i think even though it's like a super stressful game uh, it's it's a stressful game in which you have control and agency in the situation and can move things forward that uh, maybe in real life you may not. So that feels good. That is that is a good <laughs> point too. Yeah, you really yeah. have to uh, fight your way through this game <laughs> in the yeah. story at least. Yeah. So The Last of Us is a game from 2013. A little newer. Oh yeah, a little newer. Yeah, a little newer. Yeah, uh, from the uh, game developers Naughty Dog, famous for the Uncharted series and Jack and Dexter. Super good. Uh, so the creative director of the game was Neil Druckmann, also the writer, uh, with the game directors being Bruce Straley and I think Neil Druckmann too. Both yeah, players. I think he was pretty. Hit. They were they were a heavy team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Ryan, I think you had a lot of info on the background of the game. Yeah. So uh, this is a game that uh, it sounded like for Neil. He it's been in his brain for a long time. Um, and I, Neil and himself was born in Israel and then traveled to the U.S., so he has a whole other kind of world experience from a lot of the people in the game development industry. Um, but one of his main, some of his main influences were um, Children of Men, which is a book and a movie about kind of a post-apocalyptic world where there's this big event going on, the government has taken over, and there's this you know hero who has to help save somebody who maybe has something that can help the world in a different way, and he has to, they have to work together to get mm-hmm. to this point. Um, another one of the influences was uh, Planet Earth. Neil and uh, the game director talked a lot about this, how when they saw that Planet Earth sequence about cordyceps, these, these brain fungus that take over pe- creatures' brains and force them to do things, that was a, a big, heavily influence. And then kind of a piece that brings this all together is Neil, when he was younger, he pitched this kind of movie this kind of Night of the Living Dead zombie movie, but with, like, this heroine woman and this kind of dark, gritty guy working together, and then there's a big spot in the movie where the, the, the woman saves the guy, and then their, their relationship shifts, which I think was a big, a big part of that. And he, he pitched that for years. He pitched it to Image Comics, actually, as a, as a comic to be written, and they, they didn't take it either, but um, eventually when he became an internet naughty dog and worked his way up over the years... He got the chance to kind of make a movie he wanted um, and wanted to make sure that post-apocalyptic world felt kind of lush and green. And then they uh, referenced No Country for Old Men, which like doesn't have a soundtrack, doesn't have a lot of characters, but it is like really toned down and really focuses on these experiences and the storytelling of these new characters in like a, a way that has like a lot of tension. It's really intense the whole time. 
um, which I think they did a good job kind of getting in here. And then also with uh, working on Uncharted, um, where a big chunk of Uncharted 2, you're working with another person, um, and they, that, that gameplay, that tens in piece in Uncharted 2 was something they wanted to build on. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff there. Yeah, a lot of things going on. That is so cool. I actually, um, I didn't know he was an intern at Naughty Dog. That's amazing that he's worked his way up so far. Yeah, he started as an intern. He His first game was, I think, Jack 3. Um, and then as an intern, and then he eventually became a developer or like a, did some kind of coding on one of the first Uncharted's. And then Uncharted 2, he did some. He was, I think, one of the leads along with Amy, um, or he was heavily involved with Amy. And then eventually... They were looking for another game between Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3, and they they were able to put together The Last of Us. That's so cool. I remember when Uncharted 3 came out, um, the Easter egg for The Last of Us was in there, in the bar, in the beginning of Uncharted 3. There's an image of, like, a newspaper referencing The Last of Us, or referencing the uh, the, the disease that kind of takes over the, the world in The Last of Us, and I was like, that's so cool. I love when people do that in their games. And it's funny that you mentioned it. So, like, all these... Uh, influences for the for the last of us and i'm really surprised that the road isn't one of them too no yeah because that i think like you're like you're saying that that is a movie that just hits it hits you hard at the start and then just does not let up it keeps on hitting and hitting and hitting and it never quite reaches that point which you expect in games and in movies and in stories that like Everything is fine at the end, and everybody is where they need to be, and the road just doesn't doesn't do it. So that's a really good call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the road really reminds me of The Last of Us as an adult kind of escorting a child, and in a sense, keeping them safe. Um, a little bit, not little, you know, somewhat similar to The Last of Us, a little bit of a different circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Children of Men is a fantastic movie. I've never read it. I really should. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend you watch that movie it's a great movie it was a i I didn't realize it was a big flop like it didn't do well the cost it cost so much and they did not they did not make it back unfortunately so but but people love it critics love it yeah that's that's unfortunate because i think there's i think there's a scene in that movie it's been a while since i've seen it um there's a scene in that movie where there's a huge car chase uh involving the the protagonists the man and the pregnant woman that he's protecting and it's just very intense it's very the last of us when you see it it's very cool so yeah anyway see the movie you should see it yeah it's good yeah (laughs) it'll help you appreciate the last of us more or you'll get to see those connections yeah yeah i actually want to watch it now when we're done here i might go watch it (laughs) go go check it out yeah So, uh, disclaimer for this episode, The Last of Us is a rated M game. There is going to be swearing, and there's be depictions of graphic violence, and that's just kind of how it is for this game. Um, but I think it's done very tastefully. Honestly, yeah. From my, yeah. From my perspective, yeah. yeah so. I agree. So, Ryan, what are some of your thoughts of The Last of Us before we jump into the story? Yeah, so this was a game that for me, and I think like a lot of people, this is kind of one of my favorite games of all time. Similar to Bioshock, the story is just so engaging and different. Um, and I this this was one of the first games like with Bioshock I didn't jump in on the ground floor with Borderlands I didn't jump in on the ground floor but this is a game that I remember watching the development of a little bit and then being excited it was going to come out and then playing it and being like a, a proper adult when I was playing it I mean I wasn't but more of an adult than the other games we've talked about and uh, I just I, it left a big impact on me on the way games could affect me and it, it, it also like was one of the first games makes me really emotional like multiple times um yeah, in a really yeah. incredible way that first that opening scene is just and you'll see in a second but just incredible um in the way that it, yeah. it, it pulls you 
What about you? Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that it is a game that is very good at establishing relationships between characters and then really tugging on the emotional aspects of those relationships, right? It really kind of takes you down every kind of facet in which a relationship can go, the positives and the negatives, and these just really dark situations. And what I really like about this game is that even though it's like this dystopian nightmare, right? You you find the good in the game. Like the game still has good in it, if that makes sense. Like it still shows yeah. you beautiful things about the world and the people in the world, despite being in this horrifying situation, which I think is so cool. Because this game could be, I think, could be much more of a downer than it already is. And I say that in a, I say that in a, in a positive way. It didn't sound like a positive thing, but like <laughs> it's it's a very real game. But I like that it still shows the good in the world even in a bad situation yeah and i I personally love games where people are kind of thrown into bad situations games like bioshock and games like dead space are very i I love those games a lot because it's a normal person kind of thrown in a bad situation this feels similar to that situation as well the last of us all these normal people are kind of forced to make really harsh and difficult decisions to stay alive and what that kind of means for them so i love the game i love the characters i love the place I love like the the world. It's it's a great game. Yeah, well said. And I have a lot to say at the end. <laughs> a lot <laughs> yeah. to say. A lot, lot to say. say. I think. And I think I'm I'm so excited because I just finished The Last of Us Two. Yeah. So you have a different experience. I, yeah. I'm really interested to hear how that kind of lines up and how you because now you can compare these two experiences. And I recently um, watched a walkthrough of this in preparation for The Last of Us Part Two. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to hear kind of what your feelings are on, on how they've kind of carried that torch and what that feels like. Yeah, and, and, and there's no spoilers for The Last of Us 2, I should probably say that. I'm not going to spoil that at all, I promise. But enough talk, let's get right into the story. In Austin, Texas in 2013, a young teenage girl named Sarah is sleeping on her couch late at night. Walking into the home is her father, Joel, who is on the phone with his brother, Tommy. After getting off the phone... Joel sits on the couch, waking Sarah up. Sarah checks the time and comments that she isn't too late and hands Joel a present. Inside the box is a new watch, which Joel pretends isn't working, to Sarah's surprise. Joking back, Sarah comments that she paid for the watch, quote, selling hardcore drugs. <laughs> Laughing, Joel puts on his new watch. I love this scene. I love the beginning of this game. They do such a good job at establishing relationships quick right you understand who cares about who you understand the emotion and it's something that you can relate to you know you can relate to a father uh, and his child joking and being funny and that this is a meaningful relationship to both of them yeah i i think it, it really sets up this this really loving relationship and and there's also like questions like who isn't there that, that are involved but i i think you automatically like you said we know what that relationship looks like and it feels really sweet and like even there like how they talk to each other you know it's like a playful fun relationship you know that there's love and care there just in like three or four lines it's it's really amazing yeah 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 i think that they do it really well compared to a lot of games like a lot of games take some time to really establish relationships and kind of make you care and i don't know how they did it but i cared about joel and sarah very fast once I, when I was first playing this game. so As the two watch a TV show together, Sarah eventually falls asleep. Joel notices, picks her up, and puts her to bed. In the middle of the night, Sarah wakes up to a phone call from her Uncle Tommy, 
asking where her father is. Unfortunately, the call cuts off and Sarah gets up to find Joel. Searching the house, Sarah makes it downstairs to Joel running inside. He tells Sarah the neighbors, the Coopers, that something is wrong with them, that they're sick. Suddenly, a man rushes into the glass door from the outside, smashing his way through. Desperate and pleading for him to stop, Joel shoots the man and takes Sarah to the front door. Things accelerate really fast, right? This relationship now that we're now invested in is uh, threatened by whatever is happening out in the world. So things kind of start to, you know, pick up. Yeah, I think it, it, it really quickly just escalates and changes so fast. And it's such a juxtaposition with that soft opening that we had where they, they kind of ease you into it. And this is much more similar to kind of what traditional in, in game stories are how they're told. Um, whereas this, it starts slow and then just right away jars you in. in, a, in a, and again, like in this masterful way, in a single scene, tells you so much of what's going on and sets you up for so much that's about to happen. And that you see that throughout the entire game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, leaving at the front door, Joel's brother Tommy pulls up to the house and Joel and Sarah get in his truck to leave. Tommy comments that parasites are making people go crazy. Trying to make it out of the city on Route 71, they come to a stop due to a large traffic jam. Tommy, Joel, and Sarah suddenly watch in horror as a deranged person rushes the car in front of them and attacks the people inside. Turning around and heading into town to get away, the group struggles to drive through the roads of running people. Suddenly, a car rams into Tommy's car, pushing the car onto its side. Joel kicks the front window out to escape the car when he's attacked by another deranged person. Tommy smashes the person's head in with a brick, saving Joel. With Sarah's legs injured from the car accident, the group makes a run for it out of the city. With more deranged people and cars running off the road, the group makes it to an alleyway as they continue to try to escape. The group is suddenly chased by a horde of deranged people as they run into a bar, where Tommy stays behind to hold the door and gives Joel and Sarah more time to escape. Making their way out of the bar and towards a large bridge out of the city, Joel and Sarah are stopped by a soldier. Reporting that he found Joel and Sarah, the soldier is ordered to kill them. Despite Joel's pleas to stop, the soldier lifts his gun and fires at them. Joel and Sarah fall to the ground as the soldier walks closer but is gunned down by Tommy from behind. Realizing that Sarah's been shot, Joel rushes to her. He applies pressure to the wound and sympathizes with her that she's in pain. Looking down at her face, Joel realizes that Sarah has passed away. Joel begs Sarah not to die. Don't do this to me, baby. Joel holds Sarah in his arms as he begins to weep and begs God not to take her. What a powerful moment. Yeah, that it's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're introduced to this father daughter, no mother, it's just the two of them, plus Tommy, right? And yeah. how quickly she's taken from Joel is just yeah. it almost felt like it, this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, so right. early in the game, it is it's just crazy that this poor innocent girl is is killed. Just Joel. I mean, so Troy Baker is the the voice actor and the mocap um, performer for Joel in the game, and he does such a great job. And I was yeah. listening to him in a recent interview um, about The Last of Us Two, and he said that he did that take with Ashley Johnson, who does Ellie in the game, it's multiple multiple times, and it just it just hurt him so much because he just like it, it was just so powerful, and it, what a cool. I don't know. He just, it, it was such a great scene to start the game. 
Yeah, and and all throughout this this time when they're making their way away from their house and towards the city, there's a bunch of decisions made where, you know, whether it's Joel, you know, shooting the the neighbor, whether it's like not helping the people in the road, whether it's like just trying to Joel is doing what he has to do to survive to get his daughter to safety, and no matter what he does, and no matter after doing all of this, he's still like she's still taken from him. And I think as we can see, that carries through to every choice made for the rest of the game. Right, right. I think that's the moment that Joel's life changes. And that, and then he turns and he kind of is beginning to turn into the Joel we know later on in the game. Yeah, yeah. This person who, like we'll see, and like is talked about, it doesn't really have as much of a moral compass. He does what he has to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's how, what he's always done. And that's how he, as we'll see, has survived. Right, and that was a good point too. I forgot, I forgot that in the script, but yeah, they they do have a chance to save people, and they don't. They drive away, which is yeah. Which I mean, I can't even be imagine being in that position. I mean, from my perspective, I feel like you can't even blame them for making that decision because you have to do what, what's best for those that you care about and are protecting. Yeah, and I think that's something again that this game, and we're probably just gonna keep saying how incredible it is, but that's something this game does so well is it like gives you these decisions that you don't know what you would do versus like in Bioshock, like it was really clear that you were gonna save, like the right thing to do is save these little girls, and or not, and you were given that choice, but it it, it doesn't it, it didn't really feel like a choice where with this, even though we're not given these choices. We empathize because I don't know what I would do in this situation. I don't. I would probably do the same thing because you. How? Why would you put somebody? You're the people you care about in danger to help these people you don't know. You know, it's it's just mm-hmm. uh, just an impossible decision. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think too, we, I meant to mention this early in the in the podcast, but like uh, something that I think I believe it's Neil Druckmann has said a lot about this game is that there there are no heroes and villains. There, are, you know, everyone is on an equal playing field. There's no white and black. It's just gray. This this game is just gray. You know, these are just people trying to survive in the best way they can. Or the only way they know how to. All these horrible people doing horrible things, you know, in a world like that, are you really able to call them horrible or are they just doing the best they can? It's hard. Yeah. It's a very hard pill to swallow. Yeah, yeah. During the introduction, it is told to the player that the world is basically going to hell, with the pandemic occurring and vaccination testing failing. Quarantines and riots continuing to increase with food rations going low. The group known as the Fireflies are mentioned as well, having claimed responsibility for attacks made and that their goal is to return all branches of government. It's funny because as I was listening to this, as I was watching the game again and everything, mentioning the quarantines and the vaccinations, I was like, man, what a time. Like, this feels so real. It feels very different. Yeah, it feels so real. And I remember, too, I remember hearing recently, like... um, the the illness in the game right i think you mentioned the name i always forget what it is how, how do you... cordyceps cordyceps i think it's how it's yeah which are like a super creepy real thing yeah it's really i mean if you haven't seen it look it up cordyceps i, I think it's ants and now it's actually gotten uh worse it's gone to bees i believe yeah so this this fungus it, it's in like a rainforest and yeah it what it is is as it picks a species to, to take over, and, and now it's jumped. I, I, my understanding is it's jumped many times, but yeah, again, look this up. One of the best experiences is there's a really good Dave Attenborough Planet Earth video on YouTube that's amazing, but as a species gets more prevalent in an ecosystem, the fungus mutates and shifts to that species, and this fungus like takes over the brain of this creature and just makes it do whatever it wants to spread. Oh. So like it causes 
um, like certain ants to get up high so they can be eaten by other bugs. And then when that bug passes that, it spreads. So like, in it, it, it's my understanding was in again, I, I'm not, I'm not 100 sure that it's jumped to different species. And one of the things they were talking about is like, you know, what would this look like if this jumped to humans? Because we are, you know, a pretty large species. And what would this do to humans? Um, but yeah, it's a really terrifying and interesting fungus yeah um, which is yeah. wild it's not it's not like a virus it's not a bacteria it's like a fungus which is just so interesting and you see that too as we talk we'll talk later about about the infected and how what they look like and they it looks like that it looks like what you expect and like when you see the ants they see the bees and the other uh, species that have been affected by the fungus you can see i think the inspiration yeah. for the infected in this game and how terrifying it is and it feels real it feels possible when you yeah. see the, like the real life uh, fungus taking over these insects and stuff like it's crazy it's absolutely crazy and terrifying Ugh. man can you imagine this actually happened <laughs> yeah like, no. be, the worst like oh man that'd be so bad uh and there's actually even more crazy is um there are people who harvest these cordyceps and like sell them as medicine like it's a chinese medicine which is just what? wild that somebody would do such a thing yeah there's like a chinese medicine that's cordyceps no. Um, yeah. 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 Oh it's, no! It's it's oh, no. it's terrifying. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Who thought this is a good idea? Have they not played yeah. The Last of Us? They need to play The Last of they, Us. <laughs> they should probably check it out. Yeah. Oh god, dude! I just got like shivers down my spine. That is <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. 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 Whew. All right. Well, now we, I. <laughs> it's a good thing we're doing this podcast now. We've got to figure out how to survive. I guess. Right? <laughs> It'll give us some give us some clues. <laughs> Everybody listening, take notes. Take what note, you yeah. need to do. Make hard decisions. You're not a bad person no matter what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Just tell them that we said it was okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, <love that. laughs> 20 years later, in the summertime, Joel wakes up from a bad dream. Presumably, dreaming about Sarah. He hears a knock on the door, and coming inside of his apartment is a woman named Tess. She tells Joel that someone by the name of Robert sent men to kill her and has double-crossed them. Tess tells Joel she knows where he's hiding, and they both agree to go after Robert. Tess is a cool character. Tess is a great character, yeah. She's so cool. The moment she walks in, she has, like, a presence that is just so very, like, authoritative. Yeah. And again, right away, just in this, like, I don't even know how long, but very short scene, you instantly understand these people have a relationship. Mm -hmm. The way that she's talking, walking through the door without any, knows that there's some kind of connection there. And in just this quick, however long sequence it is, um, maybe half hour of in-game playtime, um, where you're like making your way forward, um, you, you, yeah, you, it's, their relationship is really good, and they do a really good job of, of demonstrating it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right. There's definitely a history there, right? Because it's been 20 yeah. years, so we don't know, yeah. know when Joel and Tess have met, and man, I would have loved if there's a DLC exploring that exploring how yeah. they met kind of like a uncharted for lost legacy kind of dlc uh, or the yeah. or, i'm sorry well, there is even a, a dlc for the last of us um oh yeah yeah there is so that'd yeah. be awesome if, if they had that for joel too man ugh, that'd be so cool never know you never know that'd be cool yeah, i don't know. think they'll ever do it but that'd be sweet <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and i think what's really cool about tess right so like like I said, she has this authority about her, right? And so in a world like that, I think you would have to have that kind of mentality. She couldn't walk in and be kind of this uh, shy, mellow person. I don't think she would last, right? She she would probably not make it in a world like that. 
So you have to be this kind of authority, very, um, you know, chin up, head held high mentality or else you'll just, you know, you'll end up dying. So very cool character. I like Tess a lot. Yeah, Tess is great. Leaving Joel's apartment to find Robert, he and Tess walk through a now destitute Boston. As they walk through the streets, Joel and Tess observe as the military pull people squatting in a house and test them to see if they're infected. Out of the four people, one tests positive and is killed. Another tries to run away and is gunned down. I love seeing the, the setting, right? We were uh, in uh, whatever town they're in the beginning of the game and it was very populated, right? And now we have this destitute Boston that's just very empty, very gray, and very sad. And to see how serious these people are taking the, being infected, that they just they test them with this little like radar, or this little like kind of uh, detector gun they put against the back of their neck, and it tells them if they're infected or not. And if they're infected, they immediately shoot them, you know. And it's just there's no sympathy, uh, there's no like, it's just you know they just are killed, and that yeah. kind of shows you as the player how serious this infection is. Yeah, how quickly it's escalated, and in that one moment, and again like how it's it's told in a way that you're a, a passive observer of this experience um it's told in a way that you um just just from this moment again you 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 see how serious all these things are and that what the lengths they're willing to go just to make sure no one no one is is caught with this right making it to a checkpoint joel and tess show their paperwork and say that they're visiting a friend suddenly a truck on the other side of the checkpoint explodes from a firefly attack with the gates of the checkpoint closed off, Joel and Tess make an illegal detour through what Tess calls the East Tunnel. The tunnel is a system of tunnels through abandoned buildings throughout Boston. Along the way, Joel and Tess arrive at part of the tunnel with spores floating through the air. These spores can lead to one becoming infected, so they put on their gas masks for protection. This is, I, I think this is one of the most terrifying parts for me in, yeah. in this game, is just how... So when you see the spores, you know there's infected, right? There has to be some kind of infected where you're about to go. So you put on the gas mask, but if the gas mask breaks, you're screwed. <laughs> you know, like now you're infected. Yeah. And it's terrifying walking through those buildings with the spores. That's when it feels like really uh, just kind of just, I don't know, it's a heaviness. When I played it, I felt it feels kind of like heavy uh, dread kind of come to me because I know that there's something bad down here I don't want to mess with. Yeah, that, that tension that they establish right away. And in such a different way that you're expecting um, in like this kind of post-apocalyptic zombie s scene. Um, it's just these like strange spores in the air. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. And imagine how, how grizzled Joel and Tess are that when they see these spores, they just put their gas masks on and like just go in. Like, without a thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah, without a thought. I never thought about that the first time I played the game, but you know, going through it again, I was like, man, they just they just go for it because they're so used to it. It's nothing now. You know, like it's 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 not... I mean, I'm sure it's scary. I'm sure it's terrifying, but they're so used to it. They're so used to like, oh, yeah, the sports, put the mask on. Let's go. Like, it just yeah. doesn't stop them. It's just, yeah, very cool. As they travel the tunnels, Joel and Tess find a stranger trapped by debris, and his gas mask is broken. Begging to not be left to turn, Joel shoots him in the head. So you have a choice, I believe, in the game. Um, yeah. I couldn't really find anyone that didn't do it, uh, but the game kind of pushes you to, to shoot the, this person, so I decided to let that be the narrative of the story. Um, and I also think that's what Joel would do, playing the game from my perspective. I think wouldn't let someone just turn. 
when the state had to turn like that. I think he would have the the, the strength and uh, to to end that person's life to do them a, the favor. And this is like one of the first moments we see since this time jump of Joel kind of making a empathetic choice of making like a, even though he's this hard grizzled individual who we don't get the details, but has done things with tests because of the things you talked about where they, you know, mindlessly just put their mask on. They're sneaking into a quarantine zone without even the thought like, Oh, this is just what we have to do. Um, they've done these types of things before, but even after all this, Joel is still willing to give this person this kind of this kindness of, of yeah. sparing them from becoming a, a, a monster. Yeah, yeah, and, and and how crazy is that? That that's that's probably the basic form of empathy we see in this world. You know, yeah. is, is putting someone down so they don't turn, they don't get infected. You know, because that's that's even worse than death. It, it, it's kind of what I kind of got from the story so far. You know, if you turn infected, that's like just the absolute worst thing that can happen to you. It's better to just be shot in the head and end it than to go through that. Yeah. Which is very powerful. It's a very powerful thing to to beg to die so you don't turn. It's yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm, I consider myself a very empathetic person. So it's when you put, you're able to put yourself in these characters' shoes, I just like, I can't even, I can imagine what that might feel like, but just to really think about what that might feel like is just, it's heavy. That's, that's really heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to put on the player and to put on the character, especially like you said, it, 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 it established this sense of dread intenseness that just keeps going and it keeps building. First, it was you're in this quarantine zone. Then it's, there's this scene where this person is shot because they test positive. Then you're trying to get out and there's this explosion. Mm-hmm. And now you're sneaking through these spores and this man is asking you to end his life so he doesn't turn. Just this constant buildup of tension that they're, they keep, which d- doesn't stop. Which yeah. does not stop. It yeah. doesn't stop. It just, it, if anything, it just ramps up more and more <laughs> yeah. and more. Which, I mean, like, it already is really heavy. So, like, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that this gets heavier. Continuing through the abandoned building, Joel and Tess find infected humans attacking and killing somebody. Quietly moving through the building as to not make noise and bring attention to them, Joel and Tess safely make it out of the building in one piece. Arriving at a small settlement, Joel and Tess make their way through as they arrive at Robert's location. Confronted by Robert's men, Joel and Tess refuse to leave without seeing Robert. When told to leave or they will be killed, Tess replies with, Fuck this and shoots one of the men in the head. So it's another moment. I I love Tess. She's so cool. Like, she's so cool. She doesn't back down. Again, you have to be that way in this world, or or you really will die, you know? So she's like, screw it. Fuck this, and just shoots him. Like, again, the world, you know, they have to change to survive in this world, and that's the kind of person Tess and Joel have to be. And further establishing that Tess in this moment it does not even hesitate. And then Joel doesn't flinch, right? This is just, all right, mm-hmm. business as usual. They're not letting us in. This is what we have to do. Um, yeah. We just have to resort to this, like, incredible violence because of this little thing, because that's the world in which we live in. And that's who these characters have been have been forced to become right. um, in this in this situation. Good po- that's a really good point you're making, actually, that Joel doesn't flinch, right? And we just saw Joel... 20 years ago trying desperately not to shoot his neighbor that had turned right pleading for his neighbor to stop so he didn't have to shoot him and now we see joel just sit there or stand there i'm sorry as tess shoots a non-infected person in the head and that's just how it is or joel actually just shot you know he just recently shot someone pleading for his life and just shot him without you know having to question it 
He's a very, yeah. I think the world has changed them. And we can kind of see that in this, the very subtle ways, which is cool. Yeah, it, it's establishing that in, in this world in which this story will take place, violence is just the only way to move forward or to move through the space. And, and right. that, that, again, it's, it's setting you up as this is the narrative we're telling and this is the world in which this will take place in. Because this is what feels real to us and this is what feels human to us. Yeah, um, this is yeah. how we see what this experience will play out like. I mean, and I think that that brings a really good question. That I mean, that, this is what I literally just thought when you were saying all that. Is this a normal human reaction when there are no rules, or when the rules aren't very enforced, or the rules aren't taken seriously? Is this how the human mentality is? You know, is this like a essentially like a futuristic? Uh, prehistoric era kind of situation where like you know you just got to do what you have to do to survive and I mean that sounds really stupid but the point is is like when you have no rules and there's nothing holding you back besides letting people use you or you getting what you want what's the difference there and how do you get that um, it's very fascinating I think it's a it's kind of like a almost like a, a look inside the human mentality in a sense yeah, and, and especially compared to, you know, a, a little while ago when we were talking about Bioshock, which is asking this same question, right? Like, mm -hmm. what do you do if there's no rules? What do you do if you're allowed to just go wherever you want to go? And Neil and uh, Kevin seem to think the same place, right? It, everything right. devolves into violence and people doing what they want to do or need to do to survive. It's Yeah, it, it, it asks a scary question. A scary yeah. question that I think we should confront this person selling the uh what's it called <laughs> the uh cord yeah the cordyceps yeah cordyceps thank you and we gotta ask this cordyceps guy like hey is this what you want is this what you yeah. want really why don't you get to sell this you can sell anything else that you want <laughs> just don't yeah. sell this please please don't yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's what a good story does right it makes you ask questions and think about as as a, as an individual but then as humans how do we react to these 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 situations and i think a good story challenges you to think about the world in different ways and this is just another mm -hmm. way to do that mm -hmm. this podcast does the same thing challenging oh perspective. yeah challenging <laughs> yeah making you think different ways joel and tess gun down the remaining men and continue to find robert sneaking around robert's other men and taking them out when needing to joel and tess are able to locate robert opening the door to his office joel is shot at by robert who tells them to get back Realizing that he's out of bullets, Robert makes a run for it, but is stopped by a locked gate. Trying to run again, Tess hits Robert's leg with a metal pipe, setting him to the ground. Tess asks him what he did with her supply of guns, to which he reveals he sold them to the Fireflies. Desperate, Robert tries to convince Tess and Joel to go with him and get the guns back by killing the Fireflies. That is a stupid idea, says Tess as she shoots Robert in the head. From around the corner, a young African-American woman appears. She seems in pain and is holding her side. Joel and Tess immediately recognize her, with Joel calling her Queen Bee. The woman asks Joel and Tess where Robert is, with Tess showcasing his dead body on the ground. It's funny how Robert tries to convince Joel and Tess, who are probably like the last two people you can convince to do something they don't want to do. Right. <laughs> Not taking any of the nonsense. Which I think is just keep establishing Tess as a person who does not mess around. She isn't going to do something if she doesn't think it's worthwhile, which I think is a good thing to be setting up. Right, right. And it shows, too, like if you break her trust, it's, you know, it's something that's very hard to get back. Right. If, if not impossible. Yeah. Tess tells the woman, whose name is Marlene, that the guns Robert sold to her were not his to sell and that she wants them back. 
Marlene refuses and tells Tess and Joel that they can have the guns back if they're able to smuggle something out of the city for her. As the sound of the military can be heard in the distance, Tess and Joel agree to make sure Marlene has the guns and agree to follow her. Traveling over the rooftops, the group makes its way down to street level. Making it to their destination, a young teenage girl threatens Joel and Tess with a knife and tells them to get away from Marlene. It is revealed that this young girl is named Ellie and that she is to be smuggled out of the city to a crew of fireflies at the Capitol building. Hand her off, come back, and the weapons are yours, says the Queen Bee. Wanting to verify that Marlene had the guns, she and Tess go to see them while Joel takes Ellie to another safe house to wait. While walking to the safe house, Joel questions how Ellie is friends with the leader of the Fireflies. Ellie tells Joel that Marlene knew her mother. Making it to the safe house, Joel tells a confused Ellie that they need to kill time as Joel lays on the couch to take a nap. On Joel's wrist is the now broken watch his daughter gave to him for his birthday 20 years ago. That was really cool too, as he's sitting down, they don't really ever showcase that he has the watch that Sarah gave to him before she died and how it's broken, it's useless. And, and Ellie even points it out, I think later on, like your watch is broken, you know? And like, uh, it, that just shows how meaningful it was to Joel, especially after, uh, you know, Sarah died. I imagine that's like a keepsake that is very important to him. Yeah, something he's chosen to hold on to after all this time. And again, they it's, it's just really well done in that, like you said, it's not something that is like, in the very first scene, It doesn't. It isn't, they're not like looking at the watch and zooming out. It's very subtly done mm-hmm. in a really kind of realistic and natural way. Right. That just is kind of starting to, and, and you know, there's a choice made that Ellie is the person observing this. Joel is this, for lack of a better term, this badass who is able to kill people and you know, he's very hardened. He still has a soft spot. You can tell because of the, the watch on his wrist. Time passes and night falls as Joel wakes up from another nightmare. Ellie comments that Joel mumbles in his sleep and how she hates bad dreams. Yeah, me too, says Joel. Ellie, looking out the window, comments how she has never been so close to the outside of the city. Confused, Joel asks Ellie what the fireflies want with her. As he asks his question, Tess enters the safe house. She tells Ellie that Marlene will make it and that she's okay. She also tells Joel that she saw the goods and asks if he wants to continue, which he agrees to do. Making their way through a system of underground tunnels, the group makes it outside the wall of Boston. Moving forward, the group runs into two military soldiers who forces everyone onto their knees. As one soldier reports to headquarters about finding the three civilians, the other uses a device to check if everyone is infected. After clearing Tess and Joel, The soldier puts the device on the back of Ellie's head. Panicking, Ellie turns around and stabs the soldier in the leg with her knife. She wrestles with the soldier, who hits her in the head with his gun. Joel jumps up to the soldier, knocking him down to the ground. As the other soldier, calling into headquarters, raises their gun, Tess shoots and kills them. Joel shoots the other and kills them as well. Tess picks up the testing device the soldier used off the ground. Shit, she says as she passes it to Joel. Joel looks at the screen of the device as the word positive flashes on screen. This is really cool. I liked, this is a, a very subtle way, or not, not not subtle, I shouldn't say that. This is a really cool way to kind of establish what's about to happen and the importance of this mission without going into too much detail yet. Yeah, and have it be a really good parallel with kind of what we saw earlier with them testing people. Um, we, we saw what this looks like before. We saw what was going to happen, and now we're going to get to see kind of What's, what's different about that? Right, right. Jesus Christ, says Joel as he realizes Ellie is the one who tested positive. 
Wondering if Marlene set him and Tessa up, he questions why the Fireflies would want to smuggle an infected girl. Ellie tells them that she isn't infected and rolls up her right sleeve. On her arm is a bite mark that's three weeks old. Tessa's not having it and states that those who are bitten turn within two days. But Ellie swears it's been three weeks and asks why Marlene would set them up. So now it's like, right, we understand. Ellie is not able to be infected, right? If the, if the bite mark turns you in two days and it's been three weeks, Ellie's immune to this infection that's taken over the world. That's why what makes her kind of special and different. Right, right. And it makes total sense why they want to smuggle her and why she's so important, right? Yeah. So we kind of understand. And, and, it, and you know, like we talked about previously, how scary it is when you find an infected person, like how Joel and Tess's t- demeanor just totally changes, right? Now she's this, like, almost like an enemy in their eyes. Like, why we have this infected girl? She's going to turn. She's going to kill us. To And having it so hard to believe that she's immune to this thing that has they have probably seen taken so many people in these last 20 years. Yeah. And I think for both of them, when, as they start to process this information over the, over what is the next couple, um, scenes, um, you can certainly see, uh, why it's so important and why, um, they make the decisions they make understanding that they've never heard of, or no one has ever seen anything like this before. Yeah, and how hard to believe this is that someone could possibly be immune to this yeah. thing. It's, yeah, it's such a cool yeah. way to set this this up for the the rest of the narrative of this game. Get this really good sense of drama, which which kind of harkens back to kind of some of the um, things we talked about earlier. The uh, those references that um, Druckmann kind of pulled from, mm-hmm. because in some of those pieces, um, this this same narrative is there but it's just done in a really interesting and different way that it, it just it just creates such a great story when you set something up like this right and, right yeah. i can imagine like too from their perspective from joel and tessa's perspective when you live in this world with no hope when hope finally shows it's probably very hard to to believe it especially have 20 years of probably just this just downright awful hard life to truly believe that there is any glimpse of hope in this child you know, being immune to this infection, it's probably, I don't know, I would find it very impossible to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But when you see the bite, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, 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 what a, what a, what a conflicting and difficult situation to be in to figure out what to do going forward. And I think they do a really good job of like, we as the player aren't sure we believe this, the characters don't believe this. And then the next, for the, for a good chunk of the rest next to the game, they do. They try and convince the characters, and try and convince us in, mm-hmm. um, in a really interesting way that I think makes a lot of sense for the narrative. But we'll we'll, we'll see that when we right, get there. Right, right, right. <laughs> in the distance, the group hears military vehicles driving up. The three begin to run and slowly move through the debris of the destroyed buildings around them, escaping the military without being spotted. The group takes a quick break. Tess questions Ellie on what the Fireflies plan to do with her. Ellie explains that Marlene told her that doctors are looking for a cure to the infection and that she may be the key to making a vaccine. Finding it hard to believe, Joel questions what they are doing. Tess convinces Joel to continue despite his reluctance to do so, though. Tess leads the group and tells Joel and Ellie that they all will cut through downtown and make it to the Capitol building by sunrise. Moving through more abandoned buildings, the group runs into more infected. As Joel is moving a dead, infected body he calls a clicker stuck against the door, Ellie asks why clickers look the way they do. 
test comments that years of being infected changes their bodies to the point where their growths blind them and they begin to use sound like bats do. So cool. That moment too is really disgusting, you know, and Joel's pulling this, this carcass off the wall. It's just plastered on there and how like, it just doesn't even face him anymore. And you watch it's like, Oh, right. dude, can you imagine touching that? Like the fact that he just yeah. rips this thing off the wall. It's gnarly. <laughs> It's just like further selling that this is just the world that they exist in. Mm-hmm. And this is the world they've existed in for 20 years. And this is kind of what they know you have to do. Yeah. Um, just that's another, that subtle way of selling that to you. It's surprising too, how sheltered uh, Ellie's kind of been in this, that she didn't know the name of, yeah. you know, these infected people, you know, right. or maybe, and, or, or, or at the same time, you know, maybe on the, the flip side of it that, you know, maybe there's a different name for them other places and that she didn't call them clickers before. Or she, you know, she never heard that phrase before. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or depending on, you know, how she grew up or what that experience was, maybe it just isn't something that you learn because um, mm-hmm. who knows what um, the world is like for anybody um, and what kind of any kind of education looks like other than through people around you. Quietly making it around more infected and clickers inside the abandoned buildings, through a subway station and an old historical museum, the group continues to move over rooftops. As Ellie stares at the sunset, Joel walks up to her. Well, is it everything you hoped for? Says Joel to Ellie. Ellie looks back at him and replies, Jerry's still out, but man, you can't deny that view. This is, I think, the very first moment we get where Joel and Ellie kind of connect. Yeah, and we kind of see that relationship begin. Joel's been a little short with her this whole time. So the fact that he took a moment and he kind of seemed like a father, in a sense, or a fatherly figure or just this compassionate person to her, um, which I think Joel truly is, but the world has hardened him. So he said to be someone yeah. he doesn't want to be or maybe doesn't necessarily uh, like being. It's kind of my interpretation. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in that too. But I, you know, I think of Joel as a good guy that has to do bad things. But then, right? Yeah. yeah. But then again, I think Neil Druckmann has also said too that this is a world that's not full of good people or bad people. It's just people surviving. That, that maybe is is what he's trying to do. But I think we, as as individuals, kind of taking in this story, we are drawn to that idea of this person who we believe in. I think because, like we've said before, is you don't know what you would do in this situation. So Joel is our best window into this mm-hmm. world because he is who we are observing this all through. And we know more of Joel's story than any other character right. here. So I think we understand explicitly what he's gone through in a way we don't understand the other characters, which I think is just a really great way to um, help you connect with the character who you're viewing the story through. Yeah. Coming down from the rooftops, the group makes it to the Capitol building to find the fireflies dead inside. Tess runs over and frantically pats down the bodies for a map or any information on where they were going. Joel questions how far Tess is going to go and take this, which she replies that she'll go as far as she needs to. Ellie tells Tess that she doesn't know where the fireflies are going to take her, but only that it was out west. Joel and Tess begin to argue about what to do, with Joel asking her to go home with him. I'm not going anywhere. This is my last stop, says Tess. Tess reveals a bite mark between her neck and shoulder that she received from an infected when attacked in the museum. Tess walks over to Ellie and compares their bite marks. Tess was only bitten an hour ago, and it's worse than Ellie's bite. Tess begs Joel to get Ellie to his brother Tommy, 
Tommy at one time worked with the Fireflies, and he might know where to take Ellie. Jill doesn't want to, but Tess pleads for him as an obligation to her. Suddenly, military vehicles can be heard driving up to the Capitol building. Tess tells Jill and Ellie to run, and she'll buy them time. Joel, not wanting to leave, says, There is no way that... But before he finishes his sentence, Tess looks at Joel in the eyes and says, I will not turn into one of those things. Come on, make this easy for me. Joel, in a low voice, tells Tess he can fight, but Tess pushes him away. No, just go, just fucking go. I think this is like the very first kind of tragedy you find it on this adventure with Tess. And how quickly yeah. things like Tess feels like this major character as we begin the game. At least for me, I, I kind of saw her as this major character, and the fact that she suddenly was just taken from us. You know, like she, you know, she used this kind of really cool, badass character that we were enjoying along the way, and then um, for her to be taken so fast kind of shows the just the brutality of the world and how fast your life can be taken. Yeah, and I think uh, like for. For us, for as as Joel, I think Joel, since this kind of short little um, jaunt out started with Ellie, Tess has been kind of the driving. Like Tess is the one that took them for Robert. Tess is the mm-hmm. one that you know communicated with Marlene and, and bargained all this. And Joel was just kind of thrown into it because he trusted Tess right. and he believed in Tess. And now Tess is kind of pushing him to do even more because of whatever the relationship is. And I really like that they don't kind of go too much into it that they don't like spend a lot of time talking about their relationship Mm -hmm. they just kind of it just is what it is and um that's all we get which i I really appreciate yeah yeah it makes you wonder too what their relationship would have been like if this hadn't happened to the world you know yeah they probably even have known each other would have things been very different you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's super interesting and and you make a really good point too is the fact that like tess was the one making these decisions she was kind of in the leadership role with joel as her backup now joel is the leader you know, and is that yeah. something that he can handle? Is that something he feels confident doing? Is is being the leader for this, you know, this stretch with this girl to the west side of the country? Yeah, right. which I'm sure. Like, I mean, if I was in Joel's shoes, I think I would feel overwhelmed and 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 not particularly up to task. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, he he just wants to kind of go back and let things go back to normal. Mm-hmm. I think because of his experiences, both that we've seen and haven't seen. He just wants to play it safe. He wants to do what he has to survive. He doesn't want to put himself in danger. And I think this situation is just affirming more of that for him. Um, and I don't. And then I think down the line we may see his arc change. But I think this is just confirming that you know this is what happens when you stick your neck out. This is what happens when you do something that for somebody else mm-hmm. or try to do the right thing. Joel tells Ellie to start moving while he stares at Tess. Joel turns and runs while Tess readies her gun. As they move upstairs, Joel and Ellie hear gunshots from the main room they were just in. Making it to the balcony, Joel looks down to see Tess shot dead on the ground. One soldier comments that Tess took out two of his men. Joel looks down at Tess for the very last time before continuing forward. When I was replaying this, I replayed this recently. In that moment, I, I still felt connected to Tess through Joel, right? And I, I think I spent a little too long staring down at Tess because I realized that this is the last time you see her. This is the last time Joel sees Tess ever, ever in that moment. And how that probably, I, I, I wondered as Joel, did that sting or was it numbing at that point? 
being what he's been through yeah. you know i i imagine because joel i think joel has a kind heart that it stung but i did, i couldn't tell it was said it was really hard to kind of feel what he might have been feeling in that moment yeah it's hard to tell um at this point how much of a person is left of joel mm-hmm. um because we've we've only seen tragedies at, up to this point for him um so it's really hard to tell how much of of a person is left and kind of like like we've talked about like this is what the world maybe kind of turns people into or at least this world right. this is what what this world turns people into um but yeah that was that, that's a really good point that's not something i, I think i reflected on when, on my most recent playthrough um yeah it's cool I, I like that this game had it has many strong female leads but i think tess is one of the better ones so i'm sad that she yeah was gone so fast but i think that her impact was was greater than i gave it credit for when i originally played the game but playing it through again i i, I think i kind of took it heavier the second time around i think if it wasn't for this test telling him this to joel and like forcing him to do mm-hmm. this like this is her last wish i i think i don't i don't know if he would have done it um i don't know if it would have been enough to push him yeah that's actually a really good point that's actually a really good point because he has no commitments to ellie i don't think he no and, and from what it sounds like especially from the the um your perspective of what you're saying about joel i think that he would really struggle to put himself out there to get hurt again from losing people yeah. which he just did with tess as the soldiers continue to spread throughout the capitol building joel and ellie quietly maneuver around the soldiers taking them out quietly when need be making it to the exit joel and ellie race to the subway station suddenly a, mil- a military vehicle rolls up and begins to shoot at them as they make their way down into the subway. With the subway infested with s'mores... I almost said s'mores. Oh, jeez. S'mores <laughs> everywhere. There's s'mores. <laughs> Goddamn <Please>. s'mores. <laughs> Put your mask on. Ah. <laughs> 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 Infested with spores, the subway is also filled with military at this point. Joel puts on his mask, but notices Ellie isn't wearing one. When Joel asks her how she's breathing in the air like this, Ellie looks at him and says, I wasn't lying to you. Quietly moving through the soldiers, Joel swims through the water filled in the subway tunnel. Joel finds a wooden pallet for Ellie to travel on the water with due to her not being able to swim. Finding the exit and ascending to the surface, Joel and Ellie stop to rest. Ellie awkwardly tries to say something about Tess before getting cut off by Joel, who tells her not to bring up Tess, ever, and to keep their histories to themselves. Joel tells Ellie that there is a town a few miles north from them, where someone Joel knows, where someone Joel knows lives and owes him some favors. This friend might also be able to get them a car. This is, so this is, again, I think like a... Just showing again what we're saying. Joel is someone who does not want to open up because if you open up, you get hurt, right? And this world is not for people who are going to open up. You know, if you open up, you die. Yeah, you, you're putting yourself in danger. Or you're putting if you if you let those people in, and especially for Joel, there might be a part of him that believes if I let somebody in, they're just gonna die like everybody else I've let in. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And if he gets too close and he cares about this person, he cares about Ellie, and then she's killed, you know, it's just another hit to Joel. And at what point, I imagine too, in this world, everyone has a threshold, right? You can only see so much before you're just overcome with this. And Joel probably has a very, very deep threshold to survive as long as he has, but, you know, still puts up that wall because you never know when 
is going to be too much. Which is just, I think, like, one of the really interesting things throughout this, and I think a, a lot of games explore this, is, like, how people react to trauma. And I think really putting these characters in this really traumatic world and then exploring that is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Joel is certainly a person. And I think, by extension, everybody in this world is a person who's been affected by trauma in a really intense way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people they became because of that trauma and because of the world um, is, is, is really interesting to explore. What I've heard a lot of people say on like podcasts or different things like that is that this feels kind of like just characters being beaten down, right? Like, like these characters in The Last of Us are just not loved and they're just constantly like just thrown in horrible situations and it's hard to kind of be a part of that journey. Um, but I feel like that's what you have to do in this situation. You can't make this like a Borderlands-esque apocalyptic world. Um, yeah, you know, and be silly about it because it just doesn't work that way. In the real world, this is you know, The Last of Us reflects kind of what would probably happen to mankind and uh, to individuals at that you know at that level, and, and just kind of like you know what would happen to like cities and individuals and groups all on these different levels and, and kind of like how it would affect each person. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think they they Neil Druckmann and the others working on this made a really concerted effort to make sure this felt real. And, and I think, I mean, I, I, I personally think it really works. It feels real. It feels like something that, um, how people might react to these things yeah. and um, how the world might change in this way. And I think if you were to go more of that silly Borderlands way, which is just a very different story, and it, and it certainly, it, it feels just so different. It ha- certainly has post-apocalyptic things to it, um, but it feels very different from this, and I, it certainly shows. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't compare the two of those. <laughs> That's a bad, too bad. No, I think to I think it's, I think I think it's always useful to compare certain pieces. Of, certainly, they're not going to be the same experience. <laughs> and like, you play Borderlands for different reasons than you pay for The Last of Us. But like you said, like the purpose of this game is to make it feel like these characters are just getting beat down and beat down and beat down because like think for a lot of people that's kind of what life can be really be right right um and that's like a really real human experience versus like what the characters are experiencing borderlands does not feel like a real human experience as fun and interesting as that story is Mm. it it does not feel like real humans experiencing real things in the same way but i think we can both agree that how amazing it would be for claptrap just run up (laughs) <laughs> we gotta get the hell out of here <laughs> yeah. and Joel and just following him like what the hell is going on that'd be fantastic that would be really wonderful get, get on that get on that dog come on cowards come on dog <laughs> <laughs> moving forward the two walk through the woods which Ellie finds really cool moving through abandoned buildings and hopping over gates Joel and Ellie make it inside the once populated town Ellie asks Joel that if they get a car, what they'll do with it. He tells her that they just need to get to his brother Tommy, who lives far away. He was once a firefly, so he'll know where to take Ellie on the west coast. As the two collected resources in the buildings of the town, they find a large wall of debris blocking the road. Yeah, that's Bill's handiwork. Joel comments. Joel and Ellie stealthily move past clickers, and Bill's makeshift traps as they continue to look for Bill. As Joel opens a random door, a rope trap triggers grabbing his ankle and pulling him upside down to hang from the ceiling. The rope, being connected to a refrigerator, is the counterweight, and Joel tells Ellie to cut it down. Clickers begin to rush in from all the noise as Joel shoots at them, 
Ellie rushes to cut the refrigerator down as Joel struggles to keep up with fighting the clickers. Ellie is able to cut the rope and free Joel right before Joel is attacked by a clicker. Struggling to get it off of him, Joel is saved when someone cuts the head off the clicker attacking him. Get off your ass and get on your feet, said the stranger to Joel. The three begin to run from the horde of clickers with the stranger leading them. Cutting through an alley, they make it inside a laundromat. Exiting the laundromat, the group continues to run from the clickers until they make it to the stranger's safe house. The stranger takes off his gas mask, revealing himself as Bill. As Ellie introduces herself, Bill handcuffs her to a nearby pipe. Bill handcuffs her to a nearby pipe. Bill pulls a gun on Joel and forces him on his knees. Bill checks Joel for any bites or sprouts as Ellie pulls the pipe from the wall and hits Bill with it. Joel stops her before seriously hurting Bill. Bill is upset due to them coming into his town and setting up all of his traps. This is a cool way to introduce Bill as much as I struggled to like him. Did you like Bill? Uh, I really like Bill. You? Yeah, I like Bill as a character. I think I didn't like Bill, and we'll get more into this, I think, as we tell the story, as I really mm-hmm. I felt so bad for Bill. Yeah, his is a really hard story. His is a really hard story. Right. Yeah. Um, I think what I like about Bill, and uh, like you said, we'll talk more about it, is he feels, um, I mean, kind of interesting, we were just talking about Borderlands, this whole kind of um, act, this kind of act two type piece, or whatever it is in uh, this kind of middle bit, it kind of is do setting up the world more, but also like you're just meeting more characters. Mm-hmm. And I think because this game is driven by characters, the more characters you meet, the more you learn about the story and about the world. And I really like Bill because he feels so different from any one of the characters we've met yeah. um, so far. And he's really eccentric in a really interesting way um, that I really like. And he, he, him and Ellie's kind of conversations and um, their back and forth, I really enjoy yeah. a lot. Actually, you, you make a really good point, actually. That their back and forth is fantastic. And this probably is the best comedy relief we get from the game through Bill, I'd yes. say. Yeah, um, I would agree. But yeah, this is yeah. about it. But it's also, I feel like it's just, as I, I empathize a lot with Bill because I feel like he is he is the extreme of what the world can make you right like we we yeah. are about to learn more about bill i guess let's just keep going and we'll talk more about bill as we as we learn more about yeah. him yeah sounds great joel tells bill that he needs a car which bill comments as a joke bill and ellie continue to bicker before joel stops them he convinces bill to help him fix up a car but bill needs gear from the other side of town but after this i owe you nothing says bill to joel the trio move through connected buildings as they travel to the other side of town. Bill continues to talk to himself about making a mistake saving Joel and Ellie. Eventually, the three make it to his safe house and go down inside of it. As Joel and Bill prepare their guns and ammo, Bill tells Joel he should ditch Ellie and let her find her own way to wherever they're going. Bill tells Joel, Once upon a time, I had somebody that I cared about. It was a partner. Somebody that I had to look after. And in this world, that sort of shit is good for one thing. Getting you killed. So yeah, so this is more of a developing character, you know, developing characteristics for Bill. He's very independent. He's very against partnerships <laughs> based on his apparently yeah. previous uh, partnership. Um, and he's very just uh, a product of this world to the extreme. Very paranoid, talking yeah. to himself, um, just doesn't get along with people because he can't trust them. 
And I think this is a really good um, way to introduce them in a way that, like, here's this parallel with Bill and Joel. We think of Bill as the far side of what this world will turn you into. This person who doesn't trust anybody, doesn't want anything to do with anybody. But but Joel had somebody, mm-hmm. right? He had someone he cared about um, and who was recently taken from him. And his reaction, he's still processing that. And it, to me, the, the purpose of this kind of piece is, will Joel go the way of Bill? That is the drama it's setting up. Or will Joel choose a different way? Um, and we'll kind of see uh, through this experience with Bill and kind of going forward what Joel chooses. Um, but I think it's a really interesting way to set up that parallel between um, this is another way, this is a way Joel could go, or this is yeah. a person Joel could very easily become. Yeah, yeah, this is the, this is like the extreme. You know, this is the, on, on the yeah. spectrum, you know, is one end is Bill. And this is exactly yeah. what Joel can turn into, which is, I, I imagine in that situation is scary. And I would have, I would be very surprised if Joel didn't think that himself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 And I think this is, I, I, I regret we didn't put this in the uh, script, but um, I think this is the moment too, that Ellie finds a stack of like pornos and Bill's like, don't touch that. Oh, that's in <laughs> uh, comics. Oh yeah. 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 She finds yeah. comics. Right. And then he's like, don't touch that. Yeah. Don't touch that. And he gets all paranoid about his stuff. Like, don't touch my stuff. Don't touch anything. Um, you know, it's just more of that bickering between them. And, and I wish I could say they liked each other, but I don't, just really don't think they do. <laughs> no, I think they actively really dislike each other. We, as like the, the onlooker, I think enjoy that back and forth, but I really think they actively <laughs> dislike each other. And I, th- I really like that they just live in that and they don't, like, by the end of our time with Bill, they haven't made up and care about each mm-hmm. other. Again, it feels just really real. It feels like in this world, it isn't, you're not always going to like the people you're forced to work with. Right. I mean, even in the real world. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And you have to learn to kind of just get by because you have a common goal or you have a common task. I've hated several people I've worked with. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. anyone that's listening that knows me, I liked working with you. Uh, it wasn't you. It wasn't you who he's talking about. It was somebody it was else. someone else. Don't worry about it. You were fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and actually, uh, when you were talking, you are just saying that too about their relationship. Like, I almost think, and going back to the whole spectrum thing we were just talking about, Bill's on one end. I would even argue that, that Ellie's on the other, right? Ellie is a very much of an optimistic. Yeah. She's still a realist, I think. Um, still kind mm-hmm. of understands the world's dangerous, but she's more optimism and more trust in people. Um, whereas I think Bill has just lost that all. And Joel's in the middle, right? Like he's not at yeah. either end. So it's a very interesting dynamic we have here. Because um, I think Joel has to decide eventually what, what end he's going to be on. So. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. I like the dynamic here. I, I think you're making me appreciate Bill more, though I still don't. I still like. Yeah. I think it's. His, yeah, I feel so sad for him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing we also. And we'll talk about it when we get there, but um, there's not something else about that that is even more problematic, but we'll talk about that when we get yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. I think we're there, almost there. So yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The group leaves to an old school across town, quietly moving through clickers and newly infected people. Making it to the school, the group jumps inside through an open window. As they walk through the school, Bill calls the newly infected people runners. I, actually, side note, I didn't realize too, I'm, I'm, I must not have been paying that much attention the very first time I played this game. I, I realized that the runners, uh, they don't have the growths on their bodies, meaning that they are newly infected people, right? They have survived this 20 years up to around this point where they've become infected and how right. heartbreaking that is to see these people um, who are just like, when you see, when you see clickers, like they're so just uh, like so morphed and so just like disgusting. They don't really seem like people anymore, but when you see the runners, they're very much this humanistic, you know, they're very much human still. Um, 
and I didn't realize that the first time, and how it's kind of harder to yeah. kill the runners than it was the clickers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they're, they feel less human, like you said. Right, right. It's easier to not focus on the fact that clickers were once people, but runners uh, are still very much so. So, or, you know, so, nah, they're humans, but, you know, it's harder to kill them because they are so human. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They still look, they still look human. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Moving quietly past clickers and runners, Ellie, Joel, and Bill arrive at the gymnasium. Suddenly, walking into the door is a large clicker that is much more mutated than than normal clickers. The large clicker throws masses of spores at them while Joel and Bill use their guns and makeshift bombs to kill it. Ellie questions what happened to that clicker to make it that way. Joel tells her they call them bloaters. Realizing the parts they need are gone, the three climb up the bleachers and out an open window and over to a nearby house. Joel and Bill begin to argue about the plan and what they need to do when they discover a dead body hanging from the ceiling. Joel says, Jesus, what? Do you know this guy or something? Frank, Bill says. He was my partner. He's the only idiot that would wear a shirt like that. I'm pretty sure Frank was wearing a, a, a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we didn't yeah. put that in the script. I'm pretty sure he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Which, I mean, is a very bold choice in the apocalypse, might I say. I don't but know. You if, gotta, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna live, you should look good doing <laughs> a tuxedo every day. Yeah. If I'm gonna be a clicker, I'm gonna look really good. I'm the best damn looking How? clicker around. How terrifying would it be? A clicker in a tuxedo just like charging at you. <laughs> I think that'd be more unnerving than. I mean, I, do you think there's like a group of individuals who's like, all right, we're going to turn, but like, let's figure out how we're going to look. So right. we can be as terrifying, scare people away so they won't get turned. Wow. And like, maybe like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, everybody coordinates an outfit, you all get infected together, and then you're like this cool posse. I'm for sure people did that. It's like a cool flash mob. <laughs> But yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and there may no go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. There may even have been people who were in the process of doing a flash mob oh. when they all got infected, and then they just forever are cursed to be a flash mob. Yeah. Oh, forever cursed to the hell of flash mobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a fate worse than death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think also too, as I'm thinking about it now. Um, I would try to be courteous if I was being infected and just wear really bright clothing, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, smart. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just to be helpful. Tie some bells, <laughs> tie bells to your legs. Oh yeah. Just blow horn, <laughs> just blasting off your clothes. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yeah. We're very courteous people, I think, you know? You yeah. Think it's important to be courteous. I mean, especially the, in, the, in the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best way would just be, you know, to end it, but that's scary. Let's not do that. Let's just wear bright clothing <laughs> that feels, for other people. That feels heavy. That. That's our bright colors. <laughs> Let's be real here. Yeah. 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 Real people making tough decisions. That's what it's about. <laughs> what clothes do I wear as I turn? <laughs> Bill cuts Frank's body down and points at the bike marks on Frank's body, rationalizing his suicide. In the distance, Joel and Bill hear the attempt to start a car. Both run to the garage where they find Ellie trying to start the car. Bill notes that the battery he thought had been stolen was in the car and that Frank must have taken it. Bill tells Joel that the battery is dead, but the cells are good, so they just need to push it, get started, and the alternator will recharge the battery. Joel walks through the house to collect any resources he can find. On a table, Joel finds a note from Frank to Bill. In the note, Frank writes that he hated Bill's guts and wanted more in his life 
than what he had with Bill. This is a heartbreaking moment too. Heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and I imagine, I mean, when I was, you know, I think when I first played too and playing again, I was like, man, I would hate to be with this dude twenty four seven. There's just no way. There's no way. So I, I almost rationalize with Frank and his decision to try to leave. And it, and yeah. It, and it sucks too because like, um, obviously he didn't make it. You know, he obviously got bit and his attempt to escape and ended his life. Uh, before he could turn um, but what a sad ending for this character you know that yeah it's just unfortunate yeah it's it's really it's really sad it's really hard and i think from the from the whole time you're with bill you don't ever see him as this person who cares about somebody but you can see even you know how whatever their relationship was you can see that that bill like is trying hard to fight down any feelings he's having and he's it, something breaks through at least to me that's something that i projected whether or not mm-hmm. like that's portrayed in the character that's something i projected on um, that like this is something that bill cared a lot about and really hurts him right yeah yeah and, and and actually you make a really good point i totally agree with that and i also think too that he's so hardened by the world that he that's the only amount he'll let himself feel vulnerable right because he still yeah. feels like that wall is really built like he doesn't he doesn't show emotion he shows this the tiniest hint of of sadness, I think, from my perspective at least, and 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 to just rationalize the, rationalizes the death, right? Rationalizes what Frank did to kind of protect himself as like as a defense mechanism. Returning to the garage, Joel gives Bill the note left by Frank. Reading it and throwing the letter to the ground, Bill asks Joel if he's ready. Joel tells Ellie she's doing a good job, and Ellie tells Joel that she won't let him down with steering the car. Side note, I thought this was really funny <laughs> in this moment. Not, not this moment between them. When you give the letter to, to Bill and he reads it, he throws it on the ground and then you can go collect it again <laughs> right yeah. in front of him, which I did. <laughs> it was really awkward. Like, I, it kind of took me out of the game for a second because like, Joel yeah. stands there. Bill's like uh, reading it. And he's like, well, fuck this. And he throws the letter on the ground. And just I walked over as Joel got picked the letter off the ground and kept it. Can you imagine if that happened in real life, how like messed up that would be? Bill's like, what the yeah. hell are you doing? <laughs> it's yeah. just so funny it took me out for a moment because I was laughing so hard and I was like okay I into this. <laughs> Bill and Joel push the truck but Ellie isn't able to get it started right away runners and clickers begin to charge at the truck from all the noise they're making Joel and Bill shoot at them and continue to push the truck making it to a hill they push the truck down and Ellie is able to start it as they drive away Ellie stops the truck when they are safe and Joel and Bill get out Bill gives Joel a hose to siphon gas from other cars if they need to. Joel sympathizes with Bill and what happened with him and Frank. Without responding to his comment, Bill asks Joel if they're square. We're square, says Joel. Then get the fuck out of my town, says Bill. Without saying anything else, Joel turns and gets into the truck and both he and Ellie drive away. And again, I think this is a great way of showing what would actually happen in real life. It's not going to end this beautiful moment where they become friends and they'll see each other again one day. Bill is just like, I think, you know, again, he's too hardened. He's too gone to become that person. He was broken when they found him and he's still broken when they left. If not more so. Yeah, yeah, because of what happened. And then in the car, um, it isn't super important to the story, but for context, in the car is when the, they find the porno mags. Mm-hmm. 
like when they're driving Tommy, and it's like porno bags of guys. Right, yes. Which yeah. further implies that this relationship with Bill and Frank was, which I, I think in some ways they did a really good job of making it not like this big flashy thing, because that's not what it should be. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. But but I think there's also some uh, people, there, there's also a problem with that, like, I think it makes a lot of sense in this game, and I think it's well done, but there is a trope in in all stories, in all mediums, that if you have uh, a gay, two gay characters, one of them dies, and that is like a defining characteristic of the other gay character, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is is something. And we can we can leave this in whether you like or not. I don't know how political you want to get within this. No, no, it's, I don't um, think it's good. Um, but I think that is also something to be aware of, and I think that makes this relationship more meaningful, at least for me. Right. Um, yeah. It's the more fact impactful. That yeah, that their their relationship is more complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Not only they they have in some in similar way that like Tess and Joel's relationship is complicated because you can't have a normal relationship yeah. in this kind of world, and we I think only meet a single character throughout this whole story where there's actually a functional relationship mm-hmm. um, that actually works. Um, but yeah, I think I think that makes that relationship much more complicated and makes out after you have that information when you replay this all of those experiences all those things that bill says all those things feel very different um and it, i really like that it's, bill still feels like a whole well-developed character and that's just a part of him instead of that is who he is and that's how he defines himself right. which i really liked yeah. yeah no i think you make such great points about that and i think that you're right it is very subtle which is cool because it doesn't need to be yes more than that. as it should be yeah 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 and i like that too and, and i found super interesting too playing again because i i remember that that part and i remember that that um that bill is gay and and well he said mm-hmm. it's, it's you know very it's implied very implied, implied yeah yeah um, and I found it very interesting too that he kept saying partner, like he's my partner and, and how I remember interpreting that the first time as someone that he was just tagged along with. Right. And I think I, I, I wonder if Bill said partner, uh, to infer that he was just partners with this person because maybe that like, yeah. he felt that meant weakness to be in a relationship mm-hmm. with someone. Oh, yeah. Or if he did mean that he was in a relationship with someone and Joel just didn't understand or, or the player, I, I, me as the player just did not understand until there's more yeah. context. I'm very curious what, what Bill's um, choice was in that and like his 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 kind of uh, inflection of the word and what he meant to, to portray or come across as. That yeah, I think, yeah, that makes, that does make sense. Yeah, I think um, wanting to know, because there's also, with everything that's, that's going on in the world, it's, it's really hard to know how relationships are defined and what the language is. I mean, even in our world, sometimes that gets really complicated. Yeah, I yeah. can't imagine in this world how complicated it is. <laughs> uh, but but I think it, it, it like, can, going with the narrative of the story, everybody loses their partner. Everybody loses the people they care about. And that is what, it, that is what this kind of small moment, this tr- small set with Bill is showing us. That right. Everybody loses everyone you care about. That is just the world. Um, and then further, the fact that, you know, Joel and Ellie are still able to survive to this point is is an accomplishment. Right. And everything past that is an accomplishment because everyone loses the people they care about. Yeah. No one gets away unscathed. And we, it, we it's interesting, too, because as we, as we talk more about the story, that we do see examples of healthy-ish relationships, more healthy relationships. And I think that yeah. the environment... We'll get in touch on this more, but I think the environment in which the relationship is 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 established in, or, or kind of held on to, or what I'm trying to say, the relationship in which the is had in the environment 
uh, determines, you know, the environment helps to determine what that relationship is going to be like. Is it going to be healthier or, or less healthy? You know, and in, yeah. in Bill's situation, it was just the two of them, right? That's a very uh, difficult situation to be in, especially surrounded by clickers and runners all the time. Um, so I'm sure right. that relationship is very stressed. Whereas in other relationships we'll see later on in the game, it's much more, it's there's much more security in their environment. So their, their relationships are much more, uh, less stressful in this stressful world, if that makes sense. We'll touch more yeah, on that later. That, I'm going too far. Yeah, it's that, it's that hierarchy of needs, right? If you if you don't have food and water and the things you need to yes. survive in a constant state of fear, how can you care about somebody and how can you have like a real relationship where the characters, which we'll talk about later, right, be in a better position to do those things because they have, they're, they're not worried every single day that they may not survive. Exactly. And I think you're touching on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I just took my my licensed master's of social work exam so i'm very i'm very much aware yeah of the, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah wasn't on my test but i know it pretty well but you're right it's totally and it makes a lot of sense too you know like you have to have a a, a solid foundation of needs being met in order to ascend this uh hierarchy of needs and uh yeah i'm sure many people don't ascend very high in no <laughs> no everybody is stuck at the bottom yeah exactly <laughs> yeah everyone's stuck at the bottom you're right yeah. exactly exactly so yeah very interesting um mm-hmm. super yeah i love how subtle it is in this game i love they don't beat yeah. you over the head with it it's just you, yeah. you put the pieces together and it's cool i'm very interested too so remember remember listeners um we love your perspectives we love your insight you know message us tales from the cartridge at gmail.com all the e's are threes uh, and also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, send us a message of what you think of the game. I'm very interested in what people think and their perspective of all these characters and the environment and everything. So I was, I'm very curious. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm sure there are people who have different perspectives or because of their own life experience have see, saw different things or connected to different things that is always useful to hear about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I'm very I'm very curious too. I would love even more context on what people think about Bill. I think uh, you yeah. I think you Ryan have opened my eyes more about Bill. I think I appreciated him more uh, from our conversation now than yeah. before, you know, when I played just me and my perspective alone. I think I appreciate Bill more and I also think I still feel sad for him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really yeah, no matter what it's a heartbreaking story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which that—that's what they—that's what they serve here in the last of us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. As time passes, Joel and Ellie continue to drive to find Tommy. Ellie comments that she took a comic book from Bill, but was annoyed due to the comic ending with a cliffhanger. Asking if she got anything else, Ellie hands him a cassette tape, which Joel is happy to see, and puts it in the cassette player in the car. And this is a good moment too. I just oh, like, yeah. a good uh, kind of character relationship building moment where like. Mm-hmm. What do you think of these? And and Joel's like, these are before my time, but I love it. You know, like that kind of mentality. Yeah. Like you know, cassette tapes are before him, but he's still down for any kind of music he can get, which yeah. I thought was really cool. And you know, he didn't get short with her. It was kind of like a fun moment between them. Um, yeah. And this is the moment too. I think you touched on just a moment ago about the the porno mag. That, she, right. that Ellie gets, and she's like, "Why are the pages stuck together?" <laughs> but she, like, it's the joke that yeah. she she understands, and she was messing with Joel, and Joel didn't know what to say in that moment. It was really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a really good moment, like you said, between those characters, and like further, kind of cementing this idea that Joel existed before this happened, and Ellie didn't, and so yeah. they're just like two completely different generations in so many ways it's really cool and we see more of that too uh, as the story goes along yeah. which is really fun i like those moments a lot um yeah 
yeah and it's i can't yeah it's probably it's so weird i imagine especially for joel to be in these two different worlds to have been in these two different worlds whereas ellie this is all she's ever known right so and that gets into a much deeper discussion later on the game that i'll hold off until then (laughs) and and one last thing is that just that like these happy moments are so much more meaningful and so much more powerful Mm -hmm. because of the experiences we've just had um and i think these moments are kind of dotted throughout um, the story, these these times where it's just Joel and Ellie, and, and it makes them so much better. Um, yes. And, and it makes the rest of the story feel better because you know that they've had these moments where they've connected really and been able to like have a moment of happiness. Right, yeah. And, and I remember playing it originally. I was... I really wanted these two to like each other. Right? I mean, personally for me, I don't know if other people felt feel the same way, but like I was really hoping these two, I wanted to see these two enjoy their their company. You know, I wanted these two to, to bond and to to care about one another. And um, so, you know, like you said, these moments are kind of few and far between, and um, but they're much more impactful because they don't happen all the time. They're much more sparse because it's realistically what would probably happen you know, yeah. with, with characters like this. And I think that, like you said, it's much more of an impact and it kind of like makes you appreciate these moments so much more because of how they're placed in the story, which I think is awesome. And even on like a second playthrough or a third playthrough, you you savor these moments because you know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. I, I, ca- I caught myself smiling so many times at moments like these um, before things would get real and I'd have to kill more people, you know, and like it would <laughs> yeah. make me appreciate it. And like, it's sad because like you must want to continue. You want to see more of what they would say to one another. And yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, it's very good. As they continue to drive until morning, Joel and Ellie arrive in a new town. The highway is blocked by several cars, forcing the pair to take an exit to the right. As Joel slowly drives down the road, he suddenly stops when there is a large man begging for help. Joel tells Ellie to put her seatbelt on and reassures her that that guy is not hurt. Putting his foot down on the gas, Joel speeds towards the man who pulls out a gun and fires. More men come out as Joel runs down the original man. The others who come out throw bricks and rocks and other things at Joel's truck when suddenly a rolling bus smashes into the side, going out of control and running into an old convenience store. The truck is totaled. Joel and Ellie get out, unharmed, but surrounded by the men who just attacked them. Both are pulled out and attacked, Joel kills his assailant and then goes over and saves Ellie. After fighting through the group of attackers, Joel and Ellie scavenge and try to find a way out of the area. Noticing a large bridge in the distance, Joel tells Ellie that that is their way out and to get back on track to finding Tommy. As Joel and Ellie continue to move forward, they run into more of the group of attackers from before. Sneaking around them, Joel and Ellie continue through an old checkpoint and through an old bookstore. With no other way to the bridge, the two make their way through an old hotel swarmed with more men. When in the clear, Ellie tells jokes to Joel through an old, old joke book that she'd found. So I put this in the script. When I first originally placed it on the PS3, I don't know if this was in the game. It must have, and I just missed it. Um, but yeah. playing through the, the, the remastered version on the PS4, there are all these lighthearted moments that Ellie would just pull out these joke books and tell all these funny jokes. And I thought it was so like awesome in this moment like mm-hmm. joel is killing these men and then ellie just pulls out this joke book which kind of like takes you out of it a little bit but the jokes were so good that we couldn't just not add yeah. some jokes in here so <laughs> yeah so good. uh so she pulls out her joke book and she goes it doesn't matter how much you push the envelope it'll still be stationary <laughs> i tried to catch some fog earlier i missed which totally worked on my girlfriend by the way she thought it was really funny <laughs> it's a, a really good, good joke, joke yeah <laughs> <laughs> what does a pirate say while eating sushi 
ahoy, pass me some soy. Uh, I don't know. I, want, I really would like to know where these jokes came from. Who, like, whose idea was this? I wonder if this is like the director's idea or someone had this idea and they put it yeah. in. It's, such, it's so funny. It's just good. It's, it just shows again how lighthearted Ellie is in this world of, of sadness and bleakness. It's kind of fun. It's cool. Yeah. She, she isn't old enough or has seen enough to be as like kind of pushed and broken mm-hmm. as, as Joel and the other characters yeah. are. Um, which I think is a really great um, window for us as individuals who are also new to this world. I think for uh, some of us, we are we we are we are we connect with Joel a lot because of um, where we are moving Joel through this world and engaging with Joel and watching it through his eyes. Then Ellie is kind of the perspective of a new person who has this is the first time they're seeing these things, and we are too. So we're connecting with both of them in this really masterfully done way. Um, in that we care about both of them because we, we see ourselves in both of them. Right. Yeah, it's easy to put yourself in their shoes. But at the same time, it's also hard, too, mm-hmm. to get their perspective, I think. As I, you know, being in that world yeah. is just, it's, I don't know, I think it's impossible unless you're actually in that world. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. After making it to the flooded basement of the hotel, Joel and Ellie encounter more clickers as they kill them and make their way up to the main floor of the hotel. Suddenly, Joel is attacked by a man and forced under a pool of water. As he struggles to not drown and grab his gun in front of him, Ellie grabs the gun and kills the attacker. Man, I shot the hell out of that guy, huh? Yeah, you sure did, Joel responds. Ellie, looking for some more appreciation from Joel, is refused and tells her to continue forward. Making it out of the hotel, Joel and Ellie run into more of the attacker gang. Joel tells Ellie that he'll go down and clear a path for them. Handing her the hunting rifle, Joel goes over and shows her how to use it and jumps down below. As Joel clears a path with Ellie's help, they meet back up. Joel gives Ellie a gun. It's for emergencies only, Joel says to Ellie as he hands her the gun. Okay, Ellie assures him. And I wish I, I, I wish that we'd put this in too. I, I forgot. In the moment that Joel hands her the hunting rifle, you know, Ellie is like, asking for more appreciation for the fact that she just saved his life and he won't give it. But in that moment that he hands her the hunting rifle and shows her how to use it, that's Joel's way of saying thank you and I trust you to have my back. Which is really, again, a subtle way of showing that. Instead of beating over the head with it, with Joel being like, you're right, thank you so much, Ellie. Joel isn't that person. You know, He's not that kind of guy. So by handing her the hunting rifle and showing her how to use it and trusting her to have his back, that's Joel's way of showing thank you. You know, I trust you. So... Yeah, that's the only way he knows how to show affection is by trusting you to protect yeah, him. Yeah, which is like it then just shows how crazy this world is or how dangerous it is because like the only way he will show he cares about you is that okay, you you I trust you to keep me safe. I trust you mm-hmm. with my life to protect me. But that is the only way I'm going to show you affection. And I think for Ellie that, that it, it's really meaningful. Um, I think it's 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 not everything she wants at right. first. But it's it's a meaningful yeah, moment. Yeah. So sorry, sorry, I didn't put that in more. <laughs> I meant to, and I forgot. That's okay. <laughs> um, as they continue forward, a military vehicle with a mounted turret on top follows Joel and Ellie as they try to escape, making their way up a building and slowly crossing a small ledge on the outside wall. The two jump inside of room, only to be ambushed. A young man grabs Joel from behind and begins to choke him. Ellie runs at the man with her knife, but is pushed away. Joel is able to flip his attacker over his shoulder and begins to punch him. Ellie stops Joel and points to a young teenager pointing a gun at Joel. Joel stands back as the attacker tells the teenager to lower his pistol. 
Thinking Joel was one of the gang members attacking people, the young man introduces himself as Henry, and the teenager is Sam. Henry tells Joel and Ellie that they came to the city with their group, but they were attacked by the same gang that attacked Joel and Ellie. Ellie offers to team up with Sam and Henry to Joel's reluctance. And again, you know, this is Joel not wanting to, you know, be with people that could turn on him. You know, he doesn't trust these people. Why work with them? Um, but Ellie is, is more open-minded. She's much more less hardened. So she's very much in the, uh, the mind that we should team up because if we team up, we're stronger, you know, group, you know, power numbers kind of thing. The group travels together out of the building as they discuss their situation with one another. As they make it to the ground level of the building, they see the military vehicle that had been chasing them slowly pass by. Henry tells the group that they have a place close by that their group uses that will be safe for them. Making their way onto the street and into another building, the four make it to Henry and Sam's hideout. Henry shows Joel the checkpoint out of the city by the hideout. is always occupied by the gang, but at night, a skeleton crew monitors it. That will be their moment to escape. Ellie and Sam hang out with one another while Joel asks Henry where they plan on going. Heard the fireflies are based out west somewhere, Henry tells Joel. Henry plans to join up with them. Though Joel is sarcastic about the fireflies, which irritates Henry, he tells Henry that they're going out to fight the fireflies too. Henry explains to Joel that there is an abandoned radio station outside of the town and that his group planned to meet there. Joel's on board to go, so they rest until nightfall. I, I really like Henry and Sam. Yeah, I really like Henry and Sam, too. They're really good characters. And so different. Yeah, yeah, they're so different. Um, but they're very, I, they're like, it's almost like a, a mirror, I feel like, for Joel and Ellie. This, yeah. this young man, I mean, Joel's not a young man, but this adult, Henry's this, mm-hmm. you know, this young adult, accompanied by uh, a teenager. Yeah. You know, and Joel's this adult, not young, but an adult, accompanied by a teenager. You know, mm-hmm. so they're very much, um, they're very similar in that regard. They're both going to see the fireflies. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it's, it's kind of like a cool run in with these characters. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that they're a mirror because, like, setting them up as, like, these parallel figures. I think, and I think every part of this story is trying to tell us something. So, like, that first section with Tess is trying to tell us something. The mm-hmm. thing with Bill is trying to tell us something. And then now this experience with Sam and Henry is trying to teach us something or trying to move the story forward in a way and also tell us more as characters about the world. Um, and I think Henry and Sam are the, uh, they're like really lighthearted. Um, they seem like more optimistic than the characters we met, which makes them really likable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point, actually. Actually, so like, you make a really good point. What would you say the the things that we're supposed to learn from each interaction? So like from Tess and from Bill and from Henry. Yeah. Sam, like, so like, I do think. Do you have any idea what you would say? Yeah, so I think with Tess, it was Tess, that whole thing with Tess where you care a lot about Tess, she's pushing you, pushing you, and then she dies. So Joel has to learn to kind of let go of somebody he cares about. That mm-hmm. he is living that experience, which he has lived before, but this is a further reminding him that you're going to lose the people you care about. You're going to lose the people you care about. Um, and then that's paralleled with Bill, who Bill has, has he's by himself, and then by the end you learn he's also lost his partner. Which again is both, you're going to lose people you care about. The only way to survive is to not care about anybody. And I think we see something very different with Sam and Henry. We see something somewhat similar and then something very different. Yeah. They're almost like, yeah, so like they're a lot of it is like polar. Yeah. Polar opposites or, or like kind of like, um, 
just opposites of one another. And I think you're right about Tess. I think that she, her lesson in this is that, you know, you will lose those that you love, but you have to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, I, think, and I think personally for Bill, I think the lesson in that story uh, was this is what you could become. You yeah, know, that's you, a good if point. If you let it, if you follow into that, that well or that pit, this is the person that you will become, you know, and it's going to be really hard to come out of it, you know, and Joel's kind of teetering on the edge of that, that kind yeah. of mentality. Um, so, yeah, I think those, are, and then with Henry and Sam, I don't, I, as we, I, I don't know what my, what my interpretation of their lesson is in this yet. I think once yeah. we, we tell the story, I'll have a better understanding. Yeah. Ellie wakes Joel up from his nap, telling him that Henry says it's time to go. Henry tells Sam to stick with him like glue, and the group leaves outside. Silently, killing the gang members waiting out by the hideout in the checkpoint, they make it through but are spotted by the military vehicle chasing them earlier that day. Henry, Sam, and Ellie are able to get on top of a large tractor trailer and try to help Joel up. Panicking because the military vehicle is coming closer, Henry tells Ellie and Joel that he and Sam are going to leave and run away, leaving them behind. Ellie jumps back down to be with Joel as the military vehicle rams through the fence between them. Quickly making it to a nearby building that is occupied by gang members, Ellie and Joel quietly take them out and make their way out of the building. Suddenly, the military vehicle busts through a locked gate and chases them to the yellow bridge Joel and Ellie planned to get to earlier, earlier that day. They get to the bridge, but see that it's broken and un unable to be crossed. As the military vehicle comes closer to them, Joel and Ellie jump into the water below. With Ellie being unable to swim, Joel catches up to her and holds onto her before ramming into a rock and passing out. Waking up on shore, Henry and Sam find Joel and Ellie. Joel gets up quickly and knocks Henry down, pointing his gun at him. Henry tells Joel that he had to make the choice he did because helping Joel back up back there would have put Sam at risk. And I think that Joel, in that moment, so when Henry's like, I couldn't, I couldn't get you up there in time, you know, or else Sam's life would be at risk, kind of shows, uh, one, the love that Henry has for Sam, that he's yeah. going to uh, kind of, you know, forsake other people and, and do what he has to do. Um, and, and two, that he's, uh, I, I, he's, he's more of a realist, right? He, he, mm -hmm. like, like Joel, I think Joel would have made the same choice if he had to. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw Joel make that choice back at the beginning of the story, right? Oh, uh, you're right. Those people on the road and needed help. And yeah. Joel, you know, Joel said, we have to do what we got to do. We can't help them. Um, wow. That's a good, comparison. but, but at the same time, like Joel's angry that he did this to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> what if Henry's like, dude, you said that same thing before this whole pandemic started. Remember? I saw. That I was saw. me. I played the game. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good, that is a really good comparison. Yeah. That is a really yeah. good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand Joel's anger too. Of course. You know, yeah. He, yeah. 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 By doing that, he put Joel and Ellie at risk, right? Like, right. so he was saving himself to put them at risk. Which is the same thing as what Joel did, but it doesn't make it feel any less terrible. Right, um, it's still in that wrong. Position. Yeah. It's, yeah, it still doesn't feel good, and it still makes means like you're in danger. Um, right. But, but yeah. Yeah. If it was the other way around, would you have come back for us? Questioned Henry to Joel. Henry tells Joel that he saved him and Ellie in the water, or else they would have drowned. Lowering his weapon, the four agree to work together again. The radio tower is close, so the group moves towards it, going from the shore to a nearby large sewer drain. Going inside, the group confronts runners and clickers along the way. 
As they moved forward in the sewers, the group run into a once-inhabited home and realized that the men, women, and children that once lived inside there had died or had become the infected they had been fighting the whole time. That was really powerful, too, and really sad. A really sad yeah. moment, walking through there and seeing kind of like the, the nursery and the kind of areas yeah. the kids are playing in and just the life that these people had lived and then kind of realizing... I didn't realize it the first time I played the game, too. I remember uh, not making that connection, but through the recent playthrough I had... I think someone even said it too. I must have missed it. Um, that these people had must be the, the infected that we have been kind of going through and moving to, uh, you know, killing as we made our way through the sewers. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of really cool artifacts left behind by these people telling you their story. Um, yeah. In in a, in a really uh, in a way that kind of harkens back to that that Bioshock experience where the the environment is trying to tell you a story in a way yeah. that this world is trying to tell you this really incredible story without telling you a single thing other than what's around you it's really right. amazing yeah I, I really appreciate games that respect the player enough to make the connections for themselves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah. i think that yeah you know i i actually just recently watched a movie and i won't put the movie down i won't say what movie it is but like the whole time the main character is narrating everything like everything in the story and it's like i would have loved to have kind of put that together myself and everything that this person's doing, it kind of really just takes away from the enjoying the experience when someone has to tell you everything that's kind of going on. Um, so that's why I love you know games like Bioshock and games like The Last of Us because they they kind of just throw everything at you, but at the same time it's like you can put this together. You know, you we trust that you can do this. Or when you do put this together later on, it'll make you appreciate something more. And I think that's a, a much more impactful thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Making their way to the entrance of the sewers, the group is chased by infected and barely make it out. That was a really, that was a scary moment too. I think yeah. you get this door open and they're coming at you, you keep killing them. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Sewers, dark sewers and, and uh, place for the clickers is, man, it's just too much sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very tense. It's very, they yeah, do, they very do a great tense. job building the tense. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. It just feels, I mean, kind of like we talked about at the very beginning, making this world feel constantly tense. That there is yes. never like there may be a moment where you relax a little bit, but right after that moment, you you are reminded of what's around you and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. The group travels through an abandoned town, picking up supplies on their way to the radio tower. So, oh, and this is a funny moment too, where like Joel describes an ice cream truck to Ellie and Sam. And he's like, yeah. "Yeah, this is truck that plays awful music and and stops, and you can come and buy ice cream." And they're like. <laughs> you live in such a weird world, you know, which is funny because they live in like an even weirder world <laughs> compared yeah. to what we live in right now or the world that was. So it's just, it's just ironic that they feel that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think Joel's description of the ice cream truck is much more cynical than it actually was too. So it <laughs> wasn't yeah. the best description yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, as they look around, Henry finds the fireflies symbol painted on a wall and comments the fireflies had once been there. Henry questions how they'll find them, but Joel reassures Henry, I know a guy. My brother, actually. He was a firefly. Last I heard, he was in Wyoming. We get there, we find him, we find the fireflies. What do you say, you in? Sounds like a good plan, man. Henry says back to Joel. And at this point in the game, I, Joel, or Ellie says more jokes, so I'm going to read more jokes to you. Please do, please, please do. <laughs> okay, never have too many jokes. Um, which again, I feel this is like a more lighthearted moment too, because they're just going through this empty town. There's no fighting happening. They're kind of more just talking to each other. It's much more laid back. So the fact that Ellie pulls out this joke book, I think, is funny, and it's mm-hmm. a good moment. So uh, yeah, so first joke. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Were you, you want to say something? 
I also I also wanted to say just like there's this moment of Joel is saying, Henry, you can come with me. You can forget what Bill yeah. was trying to tell me. I want you and Sam to come with us. You know what I mean? He's bring them in. I want you to come with us to Wyoming. I I was wrong that we have to do this alone. I can see we you saved us. You saved Ellie. That means a lot to me. I want you to come with us, which is a really big moment for Joel that he's let. This is the first time we've seen him actually let somebody new in. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think I actually overlooked that point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, that is. Yeah, for Joel to say that is very um, few and far between for his yeah. character. Yeah. yeah, very good point. That's a good catch. Good catch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ellie pulls out her joke book, and uh, so her first joke is, uh, "You want to hear a joke about pizza?" Never mind, it's too cheesy. <laughs> Classic joke, awesome joke. Very good. Uh, yeah. Last one was, uh, "What did the grape? I'm sorry. What did the green grape say to the purple grape? Breathe, you idiot." <laughs> Man, I I really want to know who did this in Naughty Dog. Jokes. I would yeah. love to know more about this this aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to to comment back to Ellie's jokes, Sam gives his own joke. Uh, he says, "Why can't your nose be twelve inches long?" Because then it would be a foot. <laughs> also very good. Yeah. Just... Also very good. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a joke book either, so Sam is on his A game. Yeah. I think. Just, just further Maybe... cementing those parallels between Ellie and yeah. Sam. Ellie and Sam. Look, they're Ellie the same. Sam. Ellie and Sam. Yeah. And we just saw the parallels with Joel and, and Henry talking yep. about the fireflies. Yeah. yeah. They, they really are a mirror of themselves, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, is... and I think. Sorry. Go ahead. I just I was just gonna say it, which I think is gonna kind of harken back to what they're trying to teach us here. I was just I was about to say the same yeah. exact thing. Yeah. I was about to say I feel like I'm the lesson I was I'm trying to figure out from this this story is coming into view of my mind. I, yeah. I'm trying to see it. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm very curious what you're gonna say uh, by the end of this this part of the story. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to say too. Okay. Um, Ellie laughs at Sam's joke. And as they move down some broken stairs, the group is suddenly sniped at, forcing them behind an old car. Joel tells everyone to stay as he goes around to flank the sniper. Quietly killing the other gang members, checking the nearby houses for them, Joel gets into the house of the sniper and kills him. He grabs the sniper rifle and covers Henry, Sam, and Ellie as the gang members chase them from behind. Suddenly, the military vehicle from the day before finds the group, but Joel is able to snipe a gang member holding a Molotov cocktail from outside of the car. The cocktail lands inside the vehicle, causing it to go on fire and out of control and crashes into a house. As Henry, Sam, and Ellie take a moment to relax, a group of infected suddenly runs out of the home and attacks them. Joel snipes the infected off of them, and everything seems to be okay. Joel continues to snipe more infected, running towards the group as they run or towards the house that Joel's in. Altogether, they make it through the backyard and move until they reach the radio tower. As the group relaxes, eating canned food inside the radio tower, Ellie leaves to go hang out with Sam, leaving Joel and Henry together. Ellie tries talking to Sam, who seems very distant. Sam questions how Ellie isn't scared, which she asks him how she isn't. Ellie asks Sam what he's afraid of. Those things out there. What if the people are still alive? What if they're trapped inside there without any control of their body? I'm scared of that happening to me. Sam tells her. Ellie reassures him that they're, they're a team now, and not to worry. From her backpack, Ellie gives Sam a toy that he was forced by his brother to leave behind two days before, when they were in the city. 
Ellie tells Sam goodnight and that she'll see him tomorrow. As she leaves, Sam sits down and looks at the bite mark on his left leg. Ugh. Heartbreaking. Just so heartbreaking. Yeah. Ugh, it hurts. It hurts. And then you see the bite mark and you think about what he just said about the, the infected, if they're still alive inside and they just can't control their bodies. It's just... And this poor, this poor teenager, you know, this poor young person whose life is about to be just gone and there's nothing can do and he doesn't and he's so young he doesn't know what to do or say because he's he's scared it's just it's heartbreaking and it's, it's sad too because as we see this this parallel between henry and joel and and sam and ellie respectively we still see the biggest difference right, right. Ellie is immune sam is not and how they did that it's a, a big difference for them you know and what and what is going to happen to them in this world right because yeah. of who ellie is she will never be in that position that sam is in right. and then because of who joel is and who henry is they are they joel is never going to have to make the decision that we're going to see sam is going to have to make you know uh, what i mean um, oh that you mean henry's going to make yeah sorry that, that henry's oh, yeah. going to make yeah, yeah. um yeah. And, and like you said so so wonderfully that the it's the hugest difference um, yeah, yeah yeah it really is it really is it's yeah it just breaks your heart because i you you grow to care about these characters that aren't joel and ellie right so the moment at least for me when i see the the bite mark on sam's leg it's just like a, oh man like and it makes sense too you know everything he's his behaviors what he's saying asking ellie if she's scared you know she's not scared because she's not gonna be infected you know right but he is so it's yeah it breaks your heart yeah the next morning, Ellie, Henry, and Joel wake up. Henry tells Ellie that he's letting Sam sleep sleep in a little bit and asks her to wake him up for breakfast. Opening the door to wake Sam, Ellie screams his name, alarming Joel and Henry as they race to her. Ellie falls backwards as Sam attacks her. Shit, he's turning, yells Joel. Henry stands behind him with his pistol in hand, speechless. As Joel pulls his gun, Henry shoots at him, causing Joel to fall back to the ground. That's my fucking brother, yells Henry to Joel. Ellie continues to hold back an infected Sam as Henry pulls his trigger and shoots Sam in the head. As Sam's body falls to the side, Ellie backs away. Joel makes sure that Ellie's okay before getting up to try and get the gun from a distraught Henry. Henry points his gun at Joel and screams, This is your fault! This is nobody's fault, Henry, Joel says calmly with his hands raised. It's all your fault, Henry screams again. Unable to handle Sam's death, Henry stops pointing the gun at Joel and instead points the gun at his head and pulls the trigger, killing himself. The screen fades to black. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. It, it breaks your heart because it's a reminder of what could happen to Joel and Ellie in this world and how like it's these beautiful interactions in this, in this team of four coming together mm -hmm. to face the world to face the challenges together and just to see it destroyed so fast it just it's yeah it, it really it's it's hard to see that happen to good people especially yeah and they, they do such a great job of all throughout this building up their relationship of you know first sam or first henry makes this decision to to abandon them to save sam which i think joel was angry about that understood because then henry and saved him and ellie making that better and then they go through that experience of the tunnels where they're working together and they're keeping each other safe 
and there's all these moments where they're kind of bonding and then in the end it still ends up this like really tragic way um, right yeah right and i found it really interesting that henry blamed joel and when i when i listened to that again and he's blaming joel he says this is all your fault I, I kind of took it as like a just a general way like Henry is yeah. so distraught that that he just focuses on Joel and it's, it's just his fault you know he, like Henry can't rationalize what's happening and he just is is displacing his anger towards Joel you know Joel is the yeah. person that's it, but I'm curious if you agree with that or if you see it as a different way no I I, I totally agree I think Henry yeah. cannot face the fact because I think who Henry was the only thing he wanted to do is keep his brother safe. And mm-hmm. now that he has, he isn't able to do that. He wasn't able to do that. And that not only that, he was the one who had to kill him. He's yeah. just not able to process that information. He's just angry. He's just turning that onto Joel because, like you said, that's who he sees. He doesn't know how to process it, um, and he just, yeah, I think he's just so gone at that point. And it could even be like when he's screaming that he's saying it to Joel, but he's just projecting it because that's what he's feeling about himself, and he isn't quite ready to face that. And I don't, and like like we see he never is going to be ready to face that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And this job, this game does a great job with kind of psychology and the defense mechanisms that people use and how like, you know, Henry really is displacing, at least from our perspective, it sounds like he's displacing his feelings uh, and redirecting it towards Joel uh, to rationalize kind of what's happening. Right. If that, you know, like you said, Henry's job, you know, Henry saw his job as keeping his brother safe and he failed, you know, so it's Joel's fault. You know that he failed and, and it's it breaks your heart because you know joel uh, we were seeing joel care about these people and when you care about someone to see them die the way that you know the way that henry and sam did it just yeah it's, it's a lot it's very heavy what uh, do you have you formulated the lesson that you think you've learned in this uh, it's it's story? it's it's really hard because i think there's a lot of different things going on um i think in the context of i think joel sees himself in Henry and sees this mm-hmm. parallel and still sees this tragedy out, play out, even though they take care of each other, even though they care about each other, he sees this tragedy play out. And I think we see this, um, in, in the next, in part two, we see this play out almost immediately, um, with the choices he makes where yeah. it just, it, it, he was starting to come around. He was starting to see, maybe there is another way. Maybe we can work together Maybe it do- I don't have to end up like Bill. Maybe Tess was right, and we just have to keep pushing forward, even if it's hard. And then this happens, and I it, I think it's just it's different because it's not somebody he he's only known them for two days, um, but right. I think so. It's not as emotional as um, some of the other experiences. But I still think the lesson is like, no matter what you do, even if you care a lot about each other, it, it it's going to end up this way or it's going to go south. Even if you cared about each other, even if you take care of each other, you know what I mean. I, I think yeah. there might be other pieces going on there. Um, I think the that reflection, that mirror that you talked about, is is just yep. so clear. Yeah, exactly. I think the mirror is the biggest thing of, of this whole story. Is that yeah. this is what this is what can happen to you? Yeah. You know, like with the best intentions, this this fate can happen to you. So you better be careful. Yeah. You know, which is, I I mean, and in some cases, maybe it could be a a, a mirror towards what doesn't have to happen for Joel, right? He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to worry about Ellie being infected. Really good point, um, yeah. But it's, just, it's the less, I think it, it's also just a general lesson of like, you know, don't care too much or you can really get hurt, you know, yeah. if something happens to that person that you care about so much, which I'm sure uh, wasn't good for Joel to kind of 
experience. But I, I also think something that I, I didn't think about is that, like, Joel, I think in this moment, probably connected with Henry even more than before because Joel has gone through this, right? He'd lost mm-hmm. his daughter. He'd lost people he's cared about, and he knows what Henry is feeling. And and you can see this in, in Joel's trying to calm him down, trying to say mm-hmm. to Henry what he probably wished somebody would have said to him and probably what Tommy did say to him. He's... He, Henry is experiencing what Joel has already seen and already experienced in a way I don't know if Henry has. So I think in that moment, Henry and Joel probably connects with Henry in a way that he probably deeper than he did before. He knows what Henry is feeling. He knows how hard this feels. The difference is, is I think Joel, for whatever reason, didn't make that same choice Henry was. Uh, didn't make, sorry, didn't make the same choice Henry did. Um, mm-hmm. For who, who knows what reason? They're different humans, different feelings, and, and maybe Joel didn't have the opportunity, and maybe Joel didn't exist in the world that you know he he knew he might have thought there was something after this like th- that right. was really hard but there was more but i think in that moment i think joel saw something in henry that he recognized in himself in a way that he probably hadn't before and hadn't had to help somebody through before yeah yeah exactly or what he could have become you yeah. know just so distraught he just ended it yeah so yeah it's yeah what a way to end this episode <laughs> yeah bit of a downer that's all right a little bit of a downer i think it's i think it's a really good it feels like a really good place because it feels like a uh we've had three stories now three different sets of characters who we just experienced and they've all kind Mm -hmm. of formed the narrative for us in a certain way and i think it does a really good job of shaping what's what's coming next Right. I think the the second half of this game is, is another, I think it's four more stories, kind of. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's a good way to say it, yeah. I think so, yeah. These, these Compared to these three stories, I think that they're very, um, as, as time passes, we're, you know, when we pick up, it's going to be fall, you know, yeah, or just in summer. Time jump, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like an interesting change of pace, and mm-hmm. it, it, it leads to some really good characterization and relationship building, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so far, Ryan, what do you think of the game? The story, uh, I mean, I, mean I, I going through it again just kind of further affirms how much I love the the story that's put together here, how much care is taken into each interaction, um, and I think it, it's so fine tuned in that um, to to just really portray what it wants to portray. It doesn't spend a lot of time wafting about everything that's said. Um, mm-hmm. Feels like it has meaning and feels important in a way that is so much harder than um to just say a bunch of things you know what i mean it it feels really concise and really clear and each story each each of these little vignettes that are kind of setting up this larger story feel really incredible and i think going through them again just makes me like them even more what about you yeah i feel the i feel very similar to how you feel i think that this game does a great job with its characters it does a great job with the world and being realistic with what could happen in this situation um, and it doesn't pull any punches, right? It makes you, it wants you to feel bad. It wants you to feel kind of in this like uh, no hope situation, which is why I think that when you do find hope, or if you do find any hope in the story, it makes it that much more impactful. Yeah. Or it makes it that much more meaningful, um, which I think is really well done. Really well done. I, I struggle with stories that are just only depressing. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't consider that The Last of Us as just a depressing game. And I think we'll get more into that as we finish the story out. Um, but yeah, so far, I really like the game a lot. Um, and it, and it's hard to see all these characters suffer the way they do. But um, but yeah, it's just it's just part of the story. So I really like it a lot. It's my, yeah. it's my, <laughs> it's my ending. I think I'm rambling at this point, but I like it a lot. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and, and like you said, like the, the story's ability to make you connect to those characters 
And the fact that you do not that you don't want them to see them suffer just kind of really tells like how yeah. well these characters have been created and how well they've set up these these moments to make us care about them and put them in these situations that really make us empathize and care about them in a really really incredible way that um, I think uh, at least I haven't experienced in in many games. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. and, I, and I th- I'm super glad that we had our discussion about Bill because I think that through your perspective, I appreciate Bill more. Um, than how I did. I had a really, I just really did struggle, and I probably still do struggle a little bit um, with <laughs> with Bill as a character, just because I just I his mentality just irritates me. But yeah. it makes sense why he is the way he is, yeah. and that kind of makes him more tolerable in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. like he is a he is a broken character, and it's very obvious that he is, and then that makes me appreciate his character a little bit more, despite the fact that he annoys me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's part of the the re- I think it's a, it's also a choice that Night Dog made. Maybe right. is that he's annoying in this fact that I think once you break down his character more, you kind of see the importance of of his role in the story and what Joel can become. At least right. from from my perspective, and I think from your perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so far so good. Um, the next episode we'll be finishing up The Last of Us. Yeah. Uh, if you have any perspectives, thoughts, feelings about The Last of Us story, please do not hesitate to write us. Let us know. You'll read the comments next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Gmail is tales from the cartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. And uh, don't forget to follow us uh, on Instagram and Twitter and uh, message us your thoughts and feelings. And we'll be happy to read those. Super yeah. excited for that. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to say before we uh, end it? Uh, no, I just no, I don't think so. I think this is just uh, so wonderful, um, and I love the story, and I'm excited to hear what other people have to say about it because I think for us, I know it's really meaningful. I'm interested to hear what it means to other people and what they think of what we have to think. I think I'm really excited yeah. about it too. Yeah, I, I'm super excited as long as no one puts us down too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and I think that too. Don't be afraid to say what, how you feel. No yeah. one is wrong with how they feel, which yeah. I think is super cool about uh, feelings and thoughts. Yeah, uh, as long yeah. as no one's getting hurt, obviously. But um, right. I'm very interested to see how people or what people's perspectives are on this mm-hmm. game. So I think a lot of people can have a lot of different strong points feelings. of view. Strong feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm very excited to hear what those thoughts are. So yeah, please same. don't hesitate to tell us. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll see you next episode. And yes, thank you for listening. Sure will. And, Thanks, everybody. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs>